What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, October 5th, 2023. Professor Jeffrey Sachs joins us from the other side of the world from where I am. I know you you folks are all around the world. Professor Sachs is coming to us from Hong Kong today, I would say this morning, but of course it's nighttime where he is. Professor Sachs from Columbia University, 10,000 miles away. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Always great to be with you from wherever I am. Thank you. Thank you. What is the, or what has been the neocon 30-year plan for Ukraine? What is their long-term goal with respect to Ukraine? Look, uh, 30 years ago, uh, at the end of the Soviet Union, the neocons had the idea that uh, how it's a, a unipolar world, the United States uh, would be, should be, and, and must continue to be the world's only superpower. And so uh, the neocons took aim to expand the U.S. military alliances everywhere in the world, tremendously overextending us. And uh, one of the plans specifically was to surround Russia in the Black Sea region with NATO. Uh, And that has uh, proven to be uh, yet another neocon disaster, because I would add to the list of neocon disasters, the war in Iraq, the war in Syria, the war in Libya, the war in Afghanistan. And now we have the war in Ukraine, a war that uh, was provoked in very significant part by the uh, attempt uh, that has been pretty relentless now for a quarter century to push NATO right up to Russia's border, uh, 2,300-kilometer border, uh, by the way, with Ukraine. And Russia kept saying, no, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. The neocons, uh, their whole game is not to listen. After all, we're all powerful. Uh, And so every time Russia said that from uh, Gorbachev first, then Yeltsin, uh, then uh, Putin, uh, the neocons said, oh, it doesn't matter. It's a bluff. We can do what we want. We are the only superpower. And uh, when things got sticky uh, in 2010 to 2014, when Ukraine elected a president that didn't want NATO, that wanted neutrality, the U.S. Uh, ended up uh, conspiring in his overthrow. That was in February 2014. And they continued the march onward. And here we are today. Ukraine is getting destroyed 
this is no favor to Ukraine. This is, as an adage that I uh, constantly uh, repeat, Henry Kissinger famously said that to be an enemy of the United States is dangerous, but to be a friend is fatal. Uh, mm. And here we are, uh, we are creating disaster in Ukraine, absolute disaster. What What is the uh, basis for their hatred of all things Russian and the personification of that hatred uh, onto uh, President uh, Putin? Why are they willing to shed uh, the blood of other people? How um, perverse were the comments of Senators uh, Romney and Blumenthal, best money we ever spent, we're killing Russians and no American boys are dying. I mean, this is morally reprehensible. Okay, I've asked you a lot of questions. No, no, we're here. We're hearing that line because it, you know it, it's a it's a, it's a neocon slogan. We heard it recently from the Dutch defense minister in a in in a conference yesterday. I hear it from a lot of Congress people. It's unbelievable the the depth of this cynicism in that. Oh, it's the Ukrainians dying. We're getting our money's worth. No Americans are dying. They're fighting for us. It's grotesque. Uh, now, where this comes from is this uh, sense that uh, we need to be all-powerful. So there's a profound resentment of any other country uh, that professes to have some power and say in the world. And by the way, it, it, it actually goes back to the British Empire. The Russophobia in the British Empire is even more remarkable than the Russophobia in uh, the American capital. And you could trace from the 19th century onward uh, this intense desire to crush Russia. Uh, it, and by the way, this precedes communism. This uh, extends past communism. This is right. just something that is deeply embedded, cultural and ignorant, because I've worked with the Russians. I've worked with the Ukrainians. I was a, an advisor to President Gorbachev's economic team. I was an advisor to President Yeltsin's economic team. I was an advisor to President Kuchma, the first president of uh, independent Ukraine, to his economic team. They wanted just normal relations. Normal. They didn't view the United States as an enemy. They wanted normal relations. We could not take yes for an answer of just normalcy. We had no. to dominate. And that that's the whole neocon approach. Here's um, here's the princess of neocons, your fellow Columbia faculty <laughs> colleague, the former <laughs> secretary of state, blaming your attitude and mine and the attitude of the thousands watching us on Vladimir Putin. I think Putin is not only thrilled by the uh, divide over whether we continue and at what levels to fund Ukraine. I think he is fomenting it as well. Putin and his team that does the kind of interventions, covert and overt, aiming to undermine democracy and to suborn political leaders is a big part of how he sees his role. Extraordinary. So who who would take this? Is the former Secretary of State. But by the so way, direct, extraordinary. A talking of, a direct descendant in the line that started with Thomas Jefferson, and she's mouthing 
this nonsense. Well, talk about suborning and uh, covertly <laughs> overthrowing other governments. She was uh, the, the the mastermind that we're going to overthrow the Syrian government uh, in uh, 2011. Look at the debacle over the next 12 years, complete devastation of that country. She was the one that said we had to overthrow uh, the Libyan government. Look at the right. disaster. She was the one, uh, after all, that uh, oversaw Victoria Newland as uh, we participated in the overthrow of Viktor Yanukovych in 2014. Absolutely extraordinary. And not, except, you know, it, by the way, it's just the demonstration of a very great difficulty in listening to others in the world. This is yes. a, a big problem. Do you do you sense, um, Professor Sachs, that support in Europe for sending uh, military aid to Ukraine is beginning to wane? It is waning fast. Uh, we just had uh, an election uh, uh, in uh, Slovakia this past week, where the new government, uh, the uh, candidate uh, that led the uh, pop, the party that won the most votes, uh, was campaigning on ending all military support for Ukraine. Mm. Uh, and that party won a decisive election victory in Poland. Uh, which has been the stalwart supporter. They're barely on speaking terms with Ukraine right now uh, because of uh, massive feuds on many fronts. Uh, Hungary has long been opposed to the U.S. neocons, and uh, Prime Minister Orban has been very clear, uh, very clear-headed, I would say, uh, uniquely so, uh, in Europe for a long time. But what's happening in the places that are still strongly supporting Ukraine is that essentially every political leader in Western Europe right now is unpopular. This is amazing. Just like in the United States, President Biden said disapproval ratings are much, much higher than his approval ratings. This is true throughout Europe right now. Uh, and this is the sign that people are very unhappy with the way things are going in the direction that's being taken. The uh, new uh, defense minister uh, of Great Britain recently, recently made some allusions to uh, boots on the ground, and there was a, a significant pushback. And then uh, Prime Minister Sunak, using a very British phrase, said, well, we don't mean it in the here and now. <laughs> You know these folks better than I do. What does that mean? We meet it next week. Uh, are they seriously considering boots on the ground, maybe in the Biden mode where they're out of uniform so he can claim they're not combat? Or are they seriously considering sending uh, troops in this never-ending war that the Russians are about to triumph in? CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I have to tell you, you know, when I when I was growing up, when I was starting my career, I, I adored the British <laughs> I, and uh, and 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 the the. They speak such beautiful English, after all, and uh, it, and it and it and it seemed so sophisticated. But over time, over decades, I've come to understand that this imperial mentality is so deep in Britain. They not only cheerlead the United States; they love war with Russia, and they have, at least since Palmerston uh, led the empire uh, in uh, the. Crimean War of 1853 to 1856, which is just like the war we have right now. It was the desire to surround Russia in the Black Sea and to crush Russia's military power by taking over uh, Sevastopol naval base, which was Russia's imperial naval base from 1783. It's the same attitude till today. The British are even worse than the American neocons, if I could say that. It's been shocking to me. The British media is for war morning till night. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's so deeply imbued in the imperial outlook. It's it's amazing. to. But to is that is that because there are no British boys coming home in body bags? You know, it's it's a reverie. They still think that they're a world empire, uh, and uh, it's so easy on the sidelines, uh, as as you're pointing out. Uh, yes, they're on the sidelines. They're giving such great advice that Ukraine has lost, by one recent estimate, half a million killed. And it was the British who loved this counteroffensive that started in early June that has been a complete devastation of Ukraine. How, how can the European globalists and the neocons close their eyes to the economic, demographic, and military catastrophe, destruction, demolition, whatever word you want to use, that has become Ukraine? Because you are, they are blinded by ideology. They are blinded by this uh, hatred of Russia. They are not counting the Ukrainian dead. They have lied to the public all along about the military situation. By the way, as has uh, the mainstream media in the United States, starting with the New York Times, which has been disgraceful during this whole war. Uh, and th th the point is, they're just not telling the truth. They want so much to fight Russia and to have someone else do the fighting and the dying uh, that uh, they want another massive recruitment of uh, the remaining Ukrainian young men that can be grabbed off the streets and be thrown into the killing fields almost without any training from what we're hearing uh, from uh, the soldiers themselves on the front line that are dying 
in massive numbers. And what we're being told is they have no training uh, and they're being right. sent. They Russia has air superiority. It has artillery superiority. It has drone superiority. And this is absolutely clear. If you watch day by day uh, the battlefield reports and you uh, you listen to multiple sources, not just uh, what is coming out of London and Washington, and they don't care because they are driven by ideology. I have to play another uh, clip of your fellow faculty member. This is uh, former Secretary Clinton, uh, cut three, Gary, uh, saying this fight is our fight. I know that the majority of Congress is still in favor of supporting Ukraine. So we've got to get through this period. We have to pass legislation and continue to support. And, you know, Jeff, this this fight is our fight. Honestly, I don't understand any American uh, siding with Putin, but we've seen it and we've heard it and we have to fight against it. I, I want to say uh, very clearly, I am not siding with Putin. I'm siding with Ukraine. I don't want Ukraine to be completely destroyed by these neocons, by their fantasy world, by their desire to throw Ukrainians by the hundreds of thousands to their death, by the destruction of Ukraine, by pushing NATO, NATO, NATO. This is the issue. This isn't siding with Putin or siding with anybody. This is trying to protect Ukraine from American zealots. You know, and 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 you know, our own top diplomats. I'm not speaking about uh, Secretary Clinton. I'm talking about professional diplomats who have understood this from the beginning. George Kennan, Jack Matlock, our uh, ambassador to the Soviet Union, William Burns, who's now CIA director and was the U.S. ambassador to Russia in 2008, they have understood completely as professionals that this push of NATO enlargement to Ukraine was completely reckless and would lead to war. And then anybody serious in this, not the propagandists, but people serious in this, the ones, Judge, you have been interviewing all along, have known that Ukraine is not going to beat Russia militarily on the battlefield. Quite the contrary, it's going to get destroyed in this war. And that's what's happening in front of our eyes. And so when Secretary Clinton says, oh, this is our battle, what she means is that hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are dying. That's what it, she means by yeah. our battle. Professor Sachs, I've never seen you so angry, but, nah, but because it's, uh, a right, it's a righteous anger. She's, she's attributing to us motivations that we don't have in order to justify her own uh, political biases. And you put your finger on it uh, uh, right on the pulse of it. Uh, suppose um, <clears throat> there is some sort of a uh, peace negotiation. Suppose there is some sort of a standstill. And suppose Joe Biden promises of Vladimir Putin that NATO will not move any further eastward. Why would Putin believe him? You know, uh, we're so far on this path that it's uh, absolutely tragic. I don't know whether Biden uh, at this uh, stage of uh, his, uh, you know, even his physical uh, situation, whether he could really negotiate at this point. But we could have negotiated to avoid this conflict. 
this conflict was so avoidable. There were so many off-ramps that stretch back 30 years, by the way, but stretch back to uh, before 2014, before overthrowing Yanukovych, that stretched to 2016, 2017, when an agreement was reached. Russia wasn't demanding the territory of Donbass. It was demanding that Ukraine honor a UN Security Council-backed agreement called the Minsk II Agreement that would have given autonomy to the Donbass, not annexation. And people don't remember this, and they're not reminded right. of this. Russia wasn't demanding the Donbass's territory, but the United States was telling Ukraine, you don't have to implement that agreement, even though it was voted 15 to nothing by the UN Security Council. You can blow it off. We don't believe in autonomy for the Donbass. We believe that as a unitary state, you should be a NATO member. That's what we told them. And then on December 17th, 2021, when President Putin put on the table a draft security arrangement between Russia and the United States, perfectly sensible, a lot to negotiate, but based on no NATO enlargement, we could have avoided the war then too. This war could have ended in March 2022 when Zelensky, reality of realization of the situation said we can be neutral and on that basis Zelensky and Putin were close to signing an agreement until the mm. United States rushed in and said no you don't have to do this this is our fight and your fight we have your back so go to it and hundreds of thousands of dead later here's where we are so this war could have been avoided so many times with negotiations what President Biden should do today is pick up the phone, and I've offered my Zoom link, and I'm sure you could offer your studio link to him so he could call President Putin because he hasn't spoken to him one time since uh, February 2022 and say, look, we got to end this thing. We got to stop the bloodshed, stop the fighting, stop the destruction of Ukraine. We got to sit down and negotiate. I accept NATO is not enlarging. I accept that you have security interests that are real. I accept, by the way, that we got to get back also to negotiations over nuclear weapons because that's right. part of what has made this so dangerous because the U.S. unilaterally walked out of the anti-ballistic missile treaty, placed missiles in Poland and Romania over Russia's stark objections. We said, we don't care. That's our business. Then unilaterally pulled out of the Intermediate Nuclear Force Agreement in 2019. And so we have stoked so much provocation in this, so much anxiety, overthrowing governments, starting multiple wars, pushing NATO enlargement, abandoning nuclear agreements, and then saying, oh, he doesn't want to negotiate. So of course we could negotiate. President Biden needs to do his job, which is to pick up the telephone and talk to his counterpart. Professor Sachs, uh, a brilliant summary of where we are today. Uh, I'm sorry we have to go. I could talk to you all morning or in your case, uh, all evening. We'll safe do it again travels. soon, I hope. Thank yes, you. Yes, safe travels. We'll see you next week from wherever you are uh, on the planet. Thank you so Sounds much. Sounds great. Th thanks so much. Of course, Talk more as soon. we get it, more as we get it, my dear friends. Uh, Alistair Crook in 30 minutes at 9 o'clock Eastern. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.